So welcome back, everybody. How was your lunch? Good. Did you remember to taste it? Were you present for the performance? <laughs> I once did a mindful eating meditation, which we do sometimes <coughs> with raisins. And uh, so it's a very kind of slow, methodical, you have one raisin and like to practice mindful eating. And uh, so you do it for a few minutes and then you do take comments. And this one woman said, you know, I've, o- I've often snacked on those little packets of um, raisin sun-kissed, I think they're called, little boxes. I throw them down at lunch, you know, snacks at work. And I've, for 20 years I've been, I've been doing that. And she said, you know, doing that eating meditation slowly with raisins, I realize I don't like raisins. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like the taste of raisins. <laughs> so watch out, you know, when you start being mindful, you <laughs> it can illuminate different things. So, you know, because we were on autopilot a lot, right? So. Okay, so we can do some more practice this afternoon. I, I think I'll give a little more um, orientation to some teaching, just to give some framework for uh, the Pasana practice. And it's you know this is one of these impossibly hopeless tasks of trying to um, speak to this rather massive tradition called Buddhism in, in, in giving a little flavor of it in one day. It's like, how do you choose, if you're wanting to show somebody the ocean, what part do you show them? Right? It's a bit like that. You know, teachings are, are vast. So, so where to start? <laughs> so a couple of things I want to speak to. One is um, uh, I, mean, I, I sort of re- I've sort of mentioned some of these things before this morning, but the the point of this practice is to illuminate our experience, to illuminate our mind, our selves, so we have better understanding, but not just in a general way, but understanding the human condition. We all have, a, we're all living um, in, you could say, with under natural laws of the governor human experience. And so what the Buddha tried to speak to was some of those natural laws, the Dharma, which is what he, his teaching was referred to as um, is, is means natural law. Right? So we're all subject to certain laws that when we're cognizant of and we live in harmony with, then we feel more well-being. And when we're not so cognizant of or we refuse to live in alignment with them, then we experience pain. It's very simple. The universe is designed very meticulously. When we live in alignment with its laws, we do okay. So, one of the w- one of the frameworks that the Buddha um, 
use to understand some of those laws is this teaching of the Four Noble Truths, which some of you are familiar with. And one of the truths is, the first truth, is that there is unsatisfactoriness in this life. There are things that are difficult to bear as a human being, right? Not rocket science to know that. (laughs) But what we do with that is a whole other story, right? What we do with the fact that things are uh, incapable of providing lasting satisfaction, incapable of providing lasting happiness, we have a, we have a few feelings about that. <laughs> we have a few reactions to that, right? Because of course, as as creatures, as sentient beings, we are all wanting to to be happy or wanting to find refuge where we can feel a sense of safety and ease and, and relaxation free from stress. Right? It's just a natural human, every, every creature in, the, in, this, in this world wants that. Right? But as we know, that's not so easy to get. Right? And there's many views and, and religions, including consumerism, uh, that speak to how we can get that. So, how we so, so it's said that one of the reasons the Buddha first started teaching was because he saw that people wanted to be happy, but went about it in the wrong way, right? and so not understanding that, creating more pain. So you might reflect on my ways you might do that in your own life. What are ways you wish to be happy, but seem to go about the very opposite thing to do that? Like I often hear, I'm too busy. Anybody busy here? Anybody like a full life, right? Not enough time, not enough space, right? And yet we seem to keep piling on projects and and whatever it is, stuff and activities and so. So this truth of unsatisfactoriness that there is unsatisfactoriness is quite profound. Because we keep living our life as if we will eventually find satisfaction somewhere, in something, in some person, some job, some house, some retirement, somewhere it's going to do it. One of my teachers was meditating in a cave in Thailand for nine months. And on the cave was written um, like a... a slogan, you could say, a meditation slogan, and it said, roughly speak, roughly translating, it said, Oh, what joy to know there is nothing that provides lasting happiness in this world. Oh, what joy to know that there's nothing that provides lasting happiness in this world. It's an interesting statement. You might think, oh, how depressing. <laughs> nothing like provides lasting happiness. But if we really examine that, right, Is there anything in your experience provided lasting joy in your life? There are many things that bring joy, for sure. Family, children, nature, beauty, art, culture, etc. But lasting joy, that's more elusive. 
Right? If we experience lasting joy, you probably wouldn't be here. <laughs> You'd be over there experiencing your lasting joy. <laughs> so, but the nature of being in this world is everything is impermanent. Everything is changing. Everything is transient. Right? Another da truth. <laughs> it's the da truths of reality. Everything is impermanent. Everything is changing, including ourselves. Look in the mirror. Take a look. Be honest. <laughs> and we're changing. We're getting older. Even if you're 20, you're getting older. And because of that truth, because of the nature of change, nothing is stays around long enough to provide that lasting peace, lasting pleasure. Even if you build your perfect little, you know, cottage in the country and you know, whatever it is, you know, you know, we can we can have we can orient towards, you know, things that bring us a lot of joy, but we get into trouble when we demand that they provide lasting satisfaction. Of course the best place to notice this is in relationship. We, or we, had, we live in this cultural myth since the Middle Ages of romantic love that our partner should be able to provide lasting satisfaction, lasting happiness. Or they, yeah, good luck. <laughs> yeah, we can find beautiful people and beautiful relationships and profound love and profound connection and all of the beauty that can come in that. But is there such a thing as lasting happiness? It's, 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 it's a mixed bag. It's life. It's beautiful and it's challenging and it's intimate and it's frustrating as hell. And you want to love your partner and you want to kill them sometimes. And it's just called life, called being human. Maybe not kill them, you know, but you know, they can bug you sometimes. So again, the question is, what do we do with that truth? What do we do with that reality? Do we complain? Do we keep fighting relentlessly for that which will provide lasting satisfaction? Do we feel like we're doing something wrong and judge ourselves? Do we collapse in despair and hopelessness? Do we try and grab onto anything that's pleasurable and joyful and like, now I've got it. Don't leave me. Do that in meditation. We can see this in microcosms and macrocosms. So in microcosms, sitting in meditation, and two fundamental orientations to this experience called life, called the moment, is um, if it's pleasant, so you have a pleasurable, you know, blissful sensation in meditation, which can happen. You get concentrated, joy bliss expansion can arise. So what do we do? Ah, great. Okay, sit still. Don't move. Okay, just hold on. (laughs) Don't ring the bell. (laughs) For once in my life, don't ring the bell. (laughs) Or we think, oh, now it's here. Now it's always going to be here. Now I've made it. Now I've finally gotten over that meditation hump. And it's just going to be like this forever. Right? I mean, it's amazing that we believe that. I mean, it sounds silly to say that, but we, you know, consciously or unconsciously, we think like that. 
we get into a good groove with anything, with work, with relationship, with our creativity, of finally, I've landed. It's now it's all you know, smooth sailing and enlightenment reti- retirement. You know, just and then what happens? Something happens. You know, someone sneezes. You know, or you need to go pee or something, and that experience changes. And then what happens? Then if it's pleasurable and we were liking it, we grab onto it. You know, no, don't go. No, or we or we resist that which is seeming to make the change. Right? We resist the person who sneezes. How dare you sneeze? I was just getting into nirvana, and you blew it <laughs> for me. I remember I was on this long retreat in the East Coast in the retreat center, and I was doing long concentration uh, retreat. So very deep, quiet, mm-hmm. still, blissful, beautiful. Uh, practice and the afternoon was my sweet spot time and at some point in the afternoon this guy would do walking meditation outside my room in these creaky floorboards <laughs> and I would and so I'd, I'd go I'd, I'd start my practice earlier and earlier to avoid the creaky floorboards so I, so I could extend this long period of sweetness and every time I'd hit the first footsteps I'd go oh, <laughs> Reaction, resistance, hating. Doesn't he know I'm trying to meditate in here? <laughs> right. So, so I'm sort of. This is a long preamble to saying that you know there's a certain truths we live with. There's a certain unsatisfactoriness in experience. There's a certain transience to experience. Whether we experience pain or not in relationship to that depends on how we relate to it. If we think it's wrong, if we think it shouldn't be happening, if we think we're doing something wrong, if we think it's a problem, if we fight and resist, if we hold on and attach, if we demand, all the ways that we can fight with reality, with experience, what happens? We contract and we feel miserable. It's very simple. If, on the other hand, we can meet that experience with, oh, look at that. What a surprise. Things are changing. Oh, things are going from pleasant to unpleasant or unpleasant to pleasant. There's less reactivity in the mind. The suffering is in the, re- is in the mind, not in the experience. The suffering is in our relationship to experience, for the most part. So what mindfulness practice is doing is helping us pay attention to those movements in the mind and heart towards ex- towards experience. Okay. How are we relating to experience? So like at lunchtime today, at midday today, we were meditating here. It was hot. It was stuffy. Right? Some of you were sleepy. Some of you were probably just feeling overheated and it was foggy, fuzzy brain, right? Hard to focus when in the body and the air is hot. How are you relating to that? Were you hating to it? Hating it? Were you okay with it? Were you in a long rant of, how come they don't use the air conditioning? Why are they making us <laughs> sit in the middle? Why doesn't he ring the bell? Didn't he know we're all tired and hot? No, no, no. Right? So, same phenomena, and we have a multitude of responses, some of which uh, bring about a sense of ease, some of which bring about a sense of further suffering. Right? Sitting in heat is not so much fun, unless you like being hot. Um, 
And then what we add to it, it's what the Buddha called the second arrow, the second dart. There's experience, like change, like heat, like coldness, like knee pain, like backache, like loneliness. And then we add a second arrow, right? The first arrow is just the initial experience of unpleasantness, painfulness. The second arrow is judging, complaining, comparing, self-pity, collapsing, right? All all ways that react to the truth of what is. (coughs) So, give an example. So, this is an old story that some of you are familiar with. They know my teachings. I'm sitting in India in the early 90s, when I did a lot of my practice, and in this monastery in in, in the Thai temple in in Bodh Gaya, which is where the Buddha uh, attained awakening. And um, there's there's a big village that's sort of spread out, sprawled. As Buddhism's gotten more popular, the village has grown up around the temple, which used to be in the rice paddies, very quiet, now it's not so quiet. And uh, there's a marketplace opened up shop outside the temple and on this particular month in January a lot of pilgrims come by and various um, people selling wares you know various things including uh, travel agents and tour operators and this particular place is selling bus tickets as travel agents and they have a loudspeaker on top of their little structure little hut more like like a garage and they are advertising their wares through the loudspeaker a lot of the day in our direction. <laughs> and we're meditating this big, beautiful, but concrete room that just, you know, noise bounces off the walls. And this, the loudspeaker goes, um, a little tape loop, this is in the days of cassette tapes. And it goes, hello, 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 hello. <laughs> and then some words in Hindi I didn't understand. Da, 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 da. And then I hear Bombay, Calcutta, Darjeeling, Delhi, Madras, more words in Hindi. And then it would stop. And then you hear it rewind. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, 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 hello. You know, and you hear that, you know, the first time it's like, oh, hello, what, me? (laughs) Bus tickets? (laughs) And, uh, you know, this is the beginning of a 20-day meditation retreat, silent meditation retreat, where you're not allowed to leave the grounds. You can't go and do some nonviolent direct action, unplug the, <laughs> you know. You pray for the, the, the state of Bihar's electricity grid to go out, which it does a lot. So we'd have quiet. And, uh, you know, so there's, oh, unpleasantness, aversion, reaction, <laughs> homicidal feelings, <laughs> indignancy, how dare you, what, this is a spiritual place, and you you know, just all the things our mind does when we're not getting what we want, we're not happy. And, um, you know, it goes on. You know, just uh, every morning, evening, Tibetan pilgrims are out and they're selling their, their bus tickets. And, you know, it was, in, it was intense dealing with it, aside from all the other racket that's going on outside the monastery. And, um, you know, I was, I was relatively new to meditation and I just hated it. And I thought, the problem is in the loudspeaker. And if they just shut up, I'd be happy. I just get on with my meditation retreat. And, uh, you know, went on for days and days. And at some point, you know, life has a great way of grinding us down and forcing us to surrender, forcing us to let go, forcing us to get out of our own, you know, self-importance, ego position. And at some point, 
that happened where I just, you know, with, through the practice and the teachers were giving guidance about working with sound, working with reactivity. And at some point it's just like, oh yeah, it's just sound. It's just noise. And it's, not n- it's not, neither problem, nor pleasant, nor unpleasant. It's just sound. And I began to see that the suffering was not in the loudspeaker. The suffering was in my reaction, contraction, fear, hatred, all the, aff- all the afflictive emotions I was feeling. That was painful. When I could just relax and just hear sound, whether it was the loudspeaker or the pilgrims or whatever else was going on in the village, just sound wasn't a problem. It was a very liberating thing. So, you know, over days it kept coming on and off, the the sound, the speaker, and and then at some point it was just amusing. Just, oh, there they are again. May they sell some tickets today. (laughs) (laughs) Hope they're doing well. (laughs) So you know, fill in the blank with your own experience, right? Whatever it is that's troubling you, right? Whether maybe it's your commute down to Mountain View every day, or maybe it's, you know, your barking neighbor's, neighbor's dog barking in the midnight, or, or you, know, you know, the stress or the noise in your office at work, or the, st- you know, the annoying antagonistic teammate in your, in your, in your office. You know? Where is it that you contract, resist, get caught in suffering, resisting, reacting to the thing. So we don't stop there, right? So, you know, it's a hot day, hot in here, we're kind of a little fading out at lunchtime, so I asked Mark to put the air conditioning. It's not like we don't act. It's not like we don't respond skillfully, right? So I turned the AC on so it's cool in here, so when we do meditate, a little more freshness, right? It's not, it's not that we just notice, we just notice I'm hot and I'm hot and I'm hot and I'm being very mindful. No, we, if we can, we take appropriate action, right? We, we, pron- we, we respond appropriately. But there are many things in life that we can't do much about, like, you know, heat waves, you know, or traffic, or whatever it is, you know. So we have to look at our mind and our heart and our relationship to that experience. So mindfulness is helping us reveal when we get like this, when we get caught in reactivity. And to understand what is that? What's it like when I'm in fear or in hatred or in aversion or resistance? Who's the one who's suffering? Well, me, this one over here whoever the me is. So, so to see there's a, so in the second foundation of mindfulness, the first foundation is mindfulness of body. Second foundation is, is mindfulness of feeling tone. Where every experience has a quality of pleasantness, unpleasantness, or neutral, someone in between. When it's pleasant, we like it, we want it, we want to hold on to it. When it's unpleasant, we don't like it, we want to get rid of it, we hate it. And neutral, we don't really notice and we space out. So the reason why the Buddha gave that such a lot of emphasis is because if we don't notice that pleasantness and unpleasantness, and we don't notice our reaction to that, that's how we get caught in suffering. So I'm in Europe this last month teaching and there's this you know, huge refugee crisis going on. You know, millions of people um, trying to escape Syria and other you know, war-torn countries. 
very tragic. And, um, you know, and, I, and I'm extrapolating from the very micro to the very macro. So for many people in Northern Europe, there's a feeling of uh, fear, of otherness, of separation. I don't want those people coming into my country and then we're going to erect a wall. We're going to erect a barrier. We're going to, whatever it takes to stop people coming in, right? That, that's a reaction to the unpleasantness on a macro scale. That's how we have warfare. That's how we have hatred and oppression and violence and racism and all the rest of it. And then we see a photo of a Syrian boy you know, on the beach. And there's this radical shift in perception of, oh, this is not a political issue, this is a human issue. Right? And a huge change of sentiment, right? P- based on perception, based on understanding, right? based on, oh, th- these people are like me. You know? So, I'm saying these things just to give a little context for the practice. The practice is we're cultivating mindfulness that supports awareness, that supports clarity, so we can understand our experience and understand how we get caught in this and how we can move to that. So in meditation, there are many things that make us go wrong. Physical pain, boredom, restlessness, the five hindrances that the Buddha spoke to, the common plagues in meditation that, that, that obstruct clarity, this, the, 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 the grasping for pleasure, right? the resisting, the un- resisting the unpleasant, aversion, restlessness where we're just agitated, we can't sit still, sleepiness where we're the opposite, where we have no energy, and doubt, we're doubting ourselves, we're doubting the practice, we don't, we're just confused. So we want to understand what's happening in meditation as a support for understanding how we operate in life. So this poem from a Sufi poet Hafez who says, you have all the ingredients to turn your life into a nightmare, do not mix them, do not mix them. Equally, you have all the ingredients to turn your existence into joy. Mix them, mix them. So what we're doing here in this practice, we're cultivating those ingredients, clarity, awareness, kindness, acceptance, understanding, letting go, etc. So lastly, um, an important component of mindfulness and I mean, is the, the quality in which we attune to experience. So what I mean by that is, so we can be aware, what I'm talking about is being aware of various facets of our experience, but the more that we can imbue that attention, that awareness with kindness, with warmth, with care, with love, the um, the more that allows our experience to be um, um, okay as it is. I'm not really saying that very well. If we can suffuse our attention with kindness, 
then when we encounter all these difficult places in us, whether it's too hot, too cold, too agitated, too restless, too fearful, too whatever, that experience is, is easier to hold, it's easier to welcome when our heart is open. When, we're, when our heart is closed and, we're, and our attention is just steely cold, there's not a way that we can, it's, it's harder to, to sit with anxiety and fear and distress. So to have some awareness of what's the quality of attention I'm bringing to myself, to this moment, to this boredom, to this joy, to this fear. So a little while ago, maybe a few years ago, I went through a phase of intense anxiety that lasted quite a while. came out of the blue. Uh, it, was, it was triggered by certain events. And... Um, uh, I was on a retreat, and it was very hard to sit with. I came home, it was very hard to sit with. I tried meditating in a way, I tried therapying in a way, I tried doing all things you do to get rid of things you don't like, and it didn't work. You know, sometimes things stick around. Sometimes we have this deep level of fear or, or anxiety or trauma or whatever it is, and it just kept day after day, more anxiety, more difficult to be with. Anxiety is very hard to be with, as those of you who are anxious. It's almost the nature of it is the antithesis of presence. It, it precludes presence almost. So I had to really draw on some deep resources to find that way to soften and relax my body and to really surrender into it with a very loving presence. And it was the loving presence that allowed it to be okay. Allowed the, allowed it to, uh, the presence was bigger enough it, I could hold it. You know? And to the extent where I could be with it, well, I didn't care whether it was there or not. It's just anxiety. Right? From that spacious, mindful presence, it's okay. Right? As soon as I wanted it to go away, I was, in, I was at war with myself. Right? Of course, I wanted it to go away, but to go into it, wanting it to go away, just creates more resistance and more pain. So when we sit this afternoon, I want you to really pay attention to not, not just what's happening, but how you're relating to it. Are you hating it? Are you wanting to get rid of it? Are you trying to create some experience and hold on to it? Right? Or, are you just, or are you just allowing experience to be as it is, coming and going, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral? And hopefully we will learn from our experience. I was teaching this course this weekend, and uh, this person from D.C. came up to me, and she said, uh, I was, she's learning to teach her, her teenage son meditation. And he's sort of in this phase where he's a little bit, little bit of openness. He's 14, there's a little bit of openness to mom, you know, not too much, but. And he said, um, mom, you know, I want you to, um, can you teach me like all of your life lessons? So, so, so I'm just not as slow as you are to learn them. <laughs> Spoken by, you know, fourteen-year-old. <laughs> so hopefully, you know, what I find, you know, I'm, I'm happy I started this practice young because it, I felt like it, 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 it teaches a lot of us about how to live wisely, how to, how to suffer less, how to find more peace. Yeah, and particularly in ourselves, because that's often where we struggle the most is with ourselves, with our emotions, with our fears, with our self-judgments, with our, all our you know, internal toils. 
So let's do some practice. And if you need to stretch for a moment, please feel free to stretch. If you've been lying or sitting down, just maybe everybody stand up for a moment and just move your body. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.